Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. What if you could learn how to raise your voice, trust your power, and overcome your deepest fears? Coaching, singing, and sisterhood. I'm proud to introduce you to Megan Jo Wilson, the founder of Rockstar Camp. Megan is someone I deeply admire who is taking the world by the balls and shifting the narrative about what it means to be a woman. She's a published author, a certified coactive coach, a leader of world leaders, and an entrepreneur committed to supporting women to claim their voices, step into their leadership, and dare to make an impact. She's hot, feisty, tender, funny, bold, and honest. She's not afraid to say it like it is and does not suffer fools gladly. She's been a tremendous teacher, and I also consider her a dear friend. My prediction is that she'll one day grace the covers of popular magazines as someone women want to celebrate and emulate, because what she stands for is that every woman be exactly who she is, living life out loud and without apology. Hey, Megan Jo. Mm, yummy, yummy, yummy. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm basking in that beautiful introduction that you surprised me with. Thank you for that. Start with telling us about your best-selling books and then what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. The two books I wrote have similar titles, and we've already, I think, identified that there will be explicit lyrics in this podcast. That is correct. <laughs> um, the first book I wrote is called Who the Fuck Am I to Be a Coach? And the subtitle of that book is A Warrior's Guide to Building a Wildly Successful Coaching Business from the Inside Out. It's a business book for coaches that's a lot about the being of what I believe it requires to be in the personal and spiritual growth program called entrepreneurship. <laughs> and the second book is Who the Fuck Am I to Be a Rockstar, which is also a business building support book for coaches and entrepreneurs and lightworkers that's all around what you just described, sharing our voices in the world as women and entrepreneurs and lightworkers. Yeah. How do you define lightworkers? Mm. You know, I think a lot of people are lightworkers and don't know it. Yeah. But I think I actually under underline the, the word workers more than light. So they're people who take radical action in the name of love and compassion and connection and healing and all of the energies of light, but doing it in a way that's public, in a way that's uh, profitable, in a way that's highly impactful. So that's a great question. I never really thought about that because it's just a term that's thrown around, right? But those are our people. That's who we typically end up hanging out with, right? And it can take a lot of different forms. Well, and I love that you use the word profitable. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that, yeah. you know, in this realm, when it 
because what else I heard that you didn't say is kind of in the service to humanity. But there's something here about women who kind of overgive without really, I guess, giving themselves permission to make it lucrative, make it a moneymaker. So true. It's absolutely true. That was my story for a very long time. And we have so many strikes against us in this area because we have a history and a lot of religious dogma that has taught us that to desire anything of pleasure is a sin. To desire money for our work is greedy and wrong. And to be spiritual means to renounce the things of the world, including money or desiring money, right, is like one of the ultimate sins. And then on top of that, we have um, being a female on planet Earth, where most of us are super disempowered around money. We don't even consider learning about money. We don't have a lot of models for the norm of making money. And so, um, and we love to give. I mean, we live to give. It totally turns us on. And then it gets really confusing because it tips over into overgiving, as you said. And what felt so good suddenly becomes exhausting. And then for most of us, if we're not receiving money for our work, we can't keep doing it in a sustainable full-time way, which is a bummer for us and also for the world. So yeah, I have a big, as you know, a big strong stance around shifting that bullshit paradigm. There is no reason that coach, massage therapist, artist should make less than a surgeon, lawyer, or celebrity. There's literally no reason for it, except that we've all agreed to that system. Yeah, we've all agreed to it. And, and I think that it's, it's, a, uh, it's a covert agreement. It's, it's an mm -hmm. unrevealed agreement. It's totally. So I love that we already figured out that our conversation is going to be around these paradoxes like pleasure, money, power, giving, Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> receiving. Right, receiving. So tell me this. What was the most difficult part of growing up girl for you? Mm. It's such a good question. And what's coming to me now, since you didn't give me these questions beforehand, Purposely. which I greatly appreciate. I know. I love it. What I know now is really different from what I knew then. My experience of growing up as a girl just felt fine. It felt normal. It felt like normal because it's, uh, the same things I was doing is what everyone else was doing. And I grew up in a super white, affluent community in Southern Maine, the youngest of five in a step family where we didn't have a lot of financial resources. So we were kind of like, you know, there were a handful of sort of scrappy kids bringing their own lunches, like God forbid. But what I know now is that the hardest part of being a girl is constantly putting so much effort and time and energy into finding ways of feeling enough. Mm. And that was my full-time job. And that's what most of our full-time jobs are. So. I would say 10% energy went into schoolwork until I got some really good teachers that challenged me. 10% went into hating my body. And 80% went into finding ways to flirt, enroll, 
capture the attention of boys who could make me feel like everything was okay because they liked me. Mm -hmm. I got really good at it. Yeah, so did I. But what a fucking waste of energy. I mean, I'm a brilliant person. I'm a gifted person. That energy could have gone into learning music and art and, you know, all these other things that came so naturally to me. Languages. I loved language. And I did. I did. I excelled in school. I excelled. So imagine what would have happened if I really put my energy into it. It's like just kind of remarkable. And when I realized that, I sobbed for three days straight. And when did you realize that? How old were you? I realized it. This was, I don't know, five years ago. It's <laughs> just like I'm last serious. week. I'm really serious. You know, and I, I sort of started to identify and understand this whole idea of feminism and like, oh, we're not on equal ground. And I don't like that. I think I want to learn more about that. That sort of started happening in college and not until then. Mm -hmm. But the three day sobbing came after an event that I went through with my teacher, Regina Thomashauer, aka Mama Gina. Mm, love her. Who, yeah, is obviously, as you know, a huge influence on my work in Rockstar Camp and otherwise. And she describes, this is great, she describes this phenomenon as biffing. <laughs> and it's anywhere, she tells this whole story about, you know, the story of a girl who puts all of her, she gets some attention from a boy named Biff. And it feels so good that she believes that that's where power resides. Her power resides in something outside of herself, which we're taught at a very young age. And so biffing in the School of Womanly Arts is anywhere where we're giving our power away, seeking approval through jobs, through money, through people, through status, through anything, instead of just reveling in our own inherent magnificence. And there's something there too, Megan Joe, about I'm making up that while it was devastating, it was still just the tip of the iceberg for you. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So I think I sobbed because I was like, I sobbed for so many reasons. I sobbed because I was 40 years old, you know, third, however old I was, years old and just realizing this and spent most of my life, many, many years doing this. And I sobbed because of how normal it felt. And I sobbed because I thought I was super you know, woke feminist woman. And it was like, oh my God, there's so much here that still hasn't been revealed. And I'm still sobbing about it today as I, as more and more is being revealed of how much I still, I am a cog in the machine of the patriarchy. I am a racist pig. I am a sexist pig. You know, like those are painful things to look at. They are. And yet they're the turning point. Yeah. What reveals gets healed, right, my love? So it's like, can't, do I have the courage to look at that and admit it? I love your courage. I love your courage. <laughs> I mean, I consider myself as someone who has a, a tremendous amount of courage. But you you're do. somebody who shows up for me as like, oh, God, to have that. You're so unapologetic. And I love that about you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I can find, you know, I can find all the kind, there's always more, right? So it's like, thank you. It's true. Thank you. I see that. And there's so many places where I still hold back. And I think that if we were to kind of talk about where holding back is actually so threaded into the work that you do, 
And I feel like the actual work that you're doing today on a day-to-day basis is about you growing alongside of the women and the community you're building and the sisterhood that you're building with women. Mm. And that's around Rockstar Camp, which is, well, I'll let you say, but it's a program for grown ass women. It's an experiential (laughs) learning program for women who are ready to step out from behind the curtain and to start Mm -hmm. rocking their business and their lives. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that program. What I really want you to talk about is kind of the, Oh shit about it. Because that's how I saw it. I was like, oh, shit. Name for those of your listeners who don't know that Monica went through this camp and had her own. Oh, shit. shit. (laughs) And I'm still having it. I'm still having it. Every time I think about it, I have to clench my butt cheeks. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, this is why you're such a brilliant, wise woman, because this is where your courage comes in. So, I mean, the heart of it for people that don't know, there's a lot to it. But ultimately, I'm teaching tools and skills for survival in the world. And it culminates ultimately with this performance where these cohorts of just magnificent women come to Maine and we spend a few days together. And part of that experience is putting each one of them on stage with a live band and a live audience and their hair and makeup done. And they sing in the spotlight this one song to celebrate and embody and experience on a visceral level what it's like to, A, to nurture this part of ourselves, the archetype of our inner rock star, she who loves to be adored. She who is unapologetic. She who relishes the spotlight, our inner diva. But it also, for the kind of human in us, it gives our brain some really powerful evidence that can rewire the way you see yourself in the world, which is I can take up massive space. I can take up massive space with my voice, with my body. And not only do I not die, even if I do it imperfectly, which everyone does, because that's the heart of live music. I do it imperfectly. Not only do I survive, I inspire people. I inspire people. It's so counterintuitive to what your brain thinks is going to happen. <laughs> right? Yes. I lived to tell the tale. You lived. <laughs> you lived. And like the before and after of your brain, I mean, it would be, I'd be so interested to hear your perspective around that. Like before you did it, your brain thought, what? You know, I have the same sensation in my body that I had before, even just talking yeah. about it. The like I'm sweating like a pig right now. And my heart is beating a million miles an hour. And yet the difference for me is it shows up now as exhilaration versus terror. Yeah. It shows up as excitement and something to look forward to versus kind of just almost being paralyzed. Like there was, there was this part of me that was paralyzed in it. And just for our listeners, I want to be clear. This is not for women who can, can sing. It doesn't mean (laughs) (laughs) it's not for trained musicians. I grew up 
much like many of us. And, you know, it was kind of a joke in my house, the way that we joke with people. Uh, my parents would be like, hey, Monica, don't quit your day job, right? If they heard me singing. And, right. you know, that was like a playful kind of like fun, funny. But my little girl essence didn't didn't like that because I wanted to be a singer. What little girl doesn't picture themselves on stage That's right. as a powerful, comm- as commanding an audience? And I felt like every time they joked, it was like taking that little vision of myself and dashing it against the rocks or something. It's just, yeah. and that is kind of like an example, I think, of how we are conditioned to believe that we could never. And I want to also say that Megan Joe was talking about, you know, they sing this one song. That does not mean we all sing one song. What it means is she allows us three choices of something we might want to sing. And mm-hmm. so I think I I think all of mine, Megan Joe, now that I look back, I think they were all pink songs. <laughs> I think they were, yeah. I think they were. Every time. We do a lot of pink at Rockstar Camp. Yeah. Oh, my God. When I think, again, of a rock star that exudes that for me, that just unapologetic bad girl tenderness that I love yeah. and that I see almost reflected in myself, too. I just, I don't know, sure, like her music has always done that for me. So mm-hmm. it's going to be pink. So totally. Yeah. She's but I just, so hot. it's so hot. And the whole thing was just such a revelation. Mm. And that for me was what I'm going to call a peak experience. And what mm. I love about that is at 49, we, we also have this mentality in our society that right around 50 is when we start winding down. And what I'm realizing is like, that is such a bunch of bullshit too. Mm-hmm. Because that's when I start the process of unbecoming. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's part of, I feel like the past 10 years has been this unbecoming. But I think the quicker we as women can kind of have that iceberg experience like you did uh, five years mm. ago, where we can mm. actually kind of look at where we have lived a very small life or a very contained life mm-hmm. is the same moment that we get to envision a new possibility for our lives where the sky is the limit, where we could choose. There's so much out there in terms right now of getting out of our comfort zone, which is definitely what I consider Rockstar Camp for Women is one of those programs out there that are Mm -hmm. just so kind of aligned with helping women to bust that myth of where we've been um, conditioned to think of ourselves a certain way. Yeah, it sure yeah, is. I just went on a little tear, didn't I? <laughs> it was a good tear. It was a good tear. So tell me about the diva. Mm. Well, diva is the, the root word of diva is divine. And so like language, you know, you and I are lovers of language and language matters so much. It's so impactful. And diva is like most words relating to anything feminine is an insult. She's such a diva. What a fucking diva. She's so demanding, so dramatic. (laughs) 
And I just remember, like, when, even when I was thinking about names for Rockstar Camp, I was like, Diva Academy. I was like, wait a second, Diva? That's got to be from Divine. Of course it is. It is literally means divine spark, divine feminine. And it was the it's the part of us. If again, if we look through the lens of archetypes, right, the collective consciousness of something we understand to be a rock star, a diva is a woman who knows she's worth being taken care of. And she's not afraid to ask for what she wants or to create what she desires and to receive it with grace and elegance. And she certainly is not afraid of taking up space. She knows that's a gift to the world and to her brothers and her sisters. So, you know, you saw and felt this dynamic. There's all kinds of fascinating dynamics when you bring a group of women together, especially to do something outside of their comfort zone. But one of the things that women discover through Rockstar Camp is, oh, me taking up space and being brilliant is a gift to my sisters. It is not punishment. It is not a wound that I'm inflicting on them. I'm actually in the right context. Once we strip away the bullshit lies we've been taught, I'm actually making massive space for her. And she needs me to do this so that she can do it. And that's the other piece that makes the performance possible that when you were on stage, you were not on stage alone. You were on stage alone, but with 10 other women who had your back and your front and your side so solidly. When I think about the experience, there was the experience of the actual event. And then as my body is giving me full chills right now, the deeper, more powerful, more lasting and impactful experience was the sisterhood that was created through the nine week program preceding the actual performance. That's right. And then the ongoing lasting relationship of sisterhood. So what I heard you say, and you didn't say these words exactly, is it's a woman mm -hmm. who knows her value. Mm -hmm. And is willing to stop having the conversation about not enoughness and about scarcity and it mm -hmm. transforming her understanding into actually her doing so is a contribution. Yeah. And that Big it time. actually has a greater positive impact on the women around her than her actually staying small and staying behind the curtain. 100% absolutely true. And just a reminder to everyone too, or, or an insight, I did a rock star camp for men, which was a wild ride and a wild experiment. We did essentially the same curriculum. I did it in part out of wild curiosity, but also to give them an opportunity to understand a woman's experience of being seen and heard. But one of the most profound outcomes of that was the men saying, when a woman celebrates herself, we are in heaven. There's nothing that makes us happier, feel safer, or more inspired than when a woman approves of and celebrates herself. Like, thank you. I mean, they just kept saying, thank you for doing that. Thank you for teaching other women to do that. We 
just can't get enough of it. And we get so little of it. This is such a big conversation, this piece. (laughs) It is. It is. But here's what I want to say about it, because I'm like jumping out of my skin, because it's so true. (laughs) Like there's so nothing sexy about or attractive, magnetic about a woman who is, has tremendously low confidence, is just Needy. needy in such a place of like needing to be just built up. It is what we've been conditioned to do as women. So I can only imagine, and I say this with the deepest compassion, a lot of times our experience is actually choosing men that continue to keep that in place. For sure. Versus be conditioned to be attracted to men who actually celebrate that in us and and help foster it in us and are willing to actually meet us. Like there's nothing more powerful or inspiring to me than being in a relationship with a man who sees me as an equal and is equally turned on when I show up fully in my power mm-hmm. as I am with, when he does. Right. Earlier on in my life, I was choosing men that the minute I would dare to shine, he would like run in the other direction. Right. So that's a thing. Oh, it's a thing too. Yeah. And many women will not be like, thank you for being so magnificent in your power. Right. No, because the air we breathe and the rules we're given are so twisted and so distorted. And which Um, gets us into sisterhood. So what's the distinction for you? The distinction between sisterhood and... And how women are conditioned to be together. Yeah. So women are conditioned, how we're conditioned to be together is comparison, competition, and threat. And this starts very early on. You know, I have a daughter in first grade who's already... And part of this is how we're wired as tribal animals, right? It is definitely culturally taught, learned, and entrenched behavior in our stories, in our history of thousands of years, that I must compete with other girls or women. They are a threat to me. I cannot trust them. You know, and then so then we get hurt by them, then we hurt other women, and then it on and on it goes. What I've discovered. Well, what we're all discovering, really, but in my experience of my little corner of work in the world is that it takes about, I don't know, 30 to 90 seconds of context setting with a room full of women to say, here's what we're doing. We're going to celebrate each other, period. And it's like so innate in us. It's, it's like, oh, thank God. And immediately we are seeing each other, sharing, truth-telling, encouraging each other, and actually encouraging another woman gives us life and breath and energy and radiance. Like that's the best thing to do when you're feeling low. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go encourage another woman. But it's like such a radically confusing notion for so many of us. It certainly was for me, like women as my sisters. Are you fucking insane? I had that same reaction when yeah. when Andrea would start to talk about women as goddesses or sisters. Yeah. I would just get I would just have this like almost like visceral cringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, me too. And I will I will say <laughs> the first event that I went to with Mama Gina was about 2000 women 
only in a big stadium. Only women. I mean, like women only. There was one man, the videographer, but no other men in the room. And I had the same visceral panic and almost ran out. I remember the moment because I remembered I had seen an Irish pub across the street and I thought, I'll just go hang out there all day with some men and a burger and a beer. Like I saw my whole day. Yeah. And did you consider <laughs> yourself also like a, a guy's girl? Yes. I always have been very much. Same. I, most of my friends growing up were, were boys. Yeah, me too. It was like yeah. they were way more safe for me way than more hanging safe. out with women who I way thought were more backstabbing safe. bitches from hell. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, way let's just safe. say it like it is. Totally. Uh, and many of them were. And as and so was I. Yeah. So I but that has the probably one of the biggest change, you know, I, I consider sort of these shifts in perspective are the miraculous things, right? When we change something inside of ourselves and the whole world changes. To me, that's just such a miracle. And it was a miraculous experience to see the world as I do now, where every woman, every single woman I see is beautiful to me and magnificent. And I see her as a part, like a part of my secret society, my tribe. Now she doesn't have to know it, but my literal whole planet changed once I did that and who I was in it changed. And it's amazing what you were saying before about, you know, it just takes 90 seconds of context setting. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's so true. Like without kind of just creating a container for the shift in the conversation, yeah, the actual behavior cannot take place. Yeah. And once you start to create a context and a practice for this behavior, it's like you can't ring, unring a bell. You, you never mm -hmm. want to go back because it's almost like this feeling of going from separation and isolation into just the loving arms of like something that you never knew was possible before with other women, which is this sense right. of intimacy and support and strength. And I, it's mm -hmm. just, it's indescribable. And it, and yet, okay, oh, this is where I get so frustrated. Again, we are conditioned to and I and again I think a lot of this is through the media it's through like this bullshit projection of what the quote-unquote ideal woman is mm -hmm. and I'm and I'm going to go back to your rock star camp for men because I'm not even holding like patriarchy isn't even working for men Oh, not at all. So like it's who decided not. who the fucking ideal woman was and then started emaciating her and putting her up on billboards <laughs> fucking everywhere? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Men. <laughs> well, the there is, you know, the distorted male, I would say. Right. Well, there's an entire billion, 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 billion dollar industry that thrives on body terrorism and the most successful industry on the planet. We, I think I read recently that women will spend an average of $15,000, and I think it's probably more, just on beauty products. It's got to be more. But that number is astounding. Like if I gave, said, here, Mon, here's 15 grand, would you be like, great, I'm going to Sephora immediately? What I would do with 15 grand, and this is a great conversation because we're 
I love the money piece is that my biggest frustration is that women are not investing in their inner selves. They're not investing because low level self-loathing that I think so many of us are unaware of that we actually have in ourselves and about ourselves. And also that we're not placing value on ourselves and we're not able to say, look, if I, if I put $10,000 into enrolling myself in programs that are going to shift me out of being in this kind of like status quo where life is just the same every day and I'm choosing the same shitty partners and I'm, I'm just kind of like numbed out, not really like living a life that fully lights me up. Right. That it's really about, you know, is she looking at first, is it possible? And second, believing in her own worth enough to actually invest that kind of money in herself. Right. Because that's how we who are actually creating these amazing programs get paid and have, it's like it needs to, this whole economy has to shift in terms of how we're, it's like when I think about the the people that are making the most amount of difference out there, like teachers, the lowest amount, the lowest salary, it just perpetuates this societal economy that, that is also working for no one. It's working for the 1%. The patriarchy is working for the 1%. Right. And we're seeing a lot of this being revealed through, you know, we're recording this in the middle of week four of quarantine, in the middle of coronavirus and pandemic. And all of that is revealing that our world is insane and that the essential workers are not being honored as such. And that, surprise, we actually are all connected. And we are, surprise, we are all responsible for each other. And surprise, wealthy people are able to much more successfully survive the virus than poor people of color who are 70% of the people dying. So the virus doesn't discriminate, but our system sure does. There's so much here to look at in terms of uh, how we live, how we work, how we treat Mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your work with Marianne Williamson. Yeah, I I was there's something I was going to mention about her earlier. Oh, I know what it was. So, well, you said the world is insane. So, I thought that was a great little segue. So, she said, "Yes, the coronavirus is revealing that the world is insane." So, Marianne has joined forces with one of my dear friends and mentors, Angela Loria, who I wrote my books with in her program, The Author Incubator. And Marianne is now working with a handful of her authors, myself included, to to mentor us and support us in sharing our messages in the world. And this all started way before COVID viral stuff started spreading. This start, you know, they they met on January first, twenty twenty. So I haven't. I'm working with her for the rest of the year. We've had one meeting. She was very excited about Rockstar Camp. I haven't even told you any of this. She got all animated and started talking about how she did a similar program in the 70s and it changed her life. And I know. And so we're going to get her to come to Rockstar Camp. It'll be great. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so She's cool? She's just such a, a, just a heroine. You know, she is just yeah. somebody who just continually shows up and just amazes me. Totally. 
so we were doing our intros and she's asking about our books and what, you know, what we want to get out of the program. And what I said to her was, I've been reading your books and doing your meditations since the 80s. And, you know, when I was like in high school and middle school, I said, but when you went into politics, that's when I really, that's when you really started to become a hero of mine because I couldn't understand how, like what courage it would take to bring that voice and that perspective into that arena. I said, I, I'm scared to even say this out loud, but that's what I aspire to. And what comes up for me when I consider stepping into politics in any way is, of course, who the fuck am I to do this? Yeah. <laughs> and what she said was so fascinating. And I, I'm not going to get the statistics quite right or the way she she expressed it. But she said something like, yeah, it was a really intense experience being on the campaign trail and debating and what I just and women think we need 80% more facts. We we feel inept unless we have 80% data, facts, history lessons, names to support our beliefs where men like 20% will get me there because they're already so rooted in their own innate sense of worth. And my opinion matters here, no matter what. And then she recommended her book, A Politics of Love, which I'm reading what I took from that, right? So I'm not getting the numbers right, but doesn't that make sense to you? Ugh. Like, so hard. So hard. <laughs> like, oh my God, you're right. Like, I'm not going to say anything unless I have 80% facts that I can cover my ass with. Yeah. And, and like that, that, that would be a big deterrent for me. It's like, I, I have to Huge. know so much in order to, I have to actually know so much. What if I say something wrong? Validate myself. What if someone disagrees with me and I can't describe how Congress works? <sighs> which I can't. But what I took from that, and I'm so excited and scared about, is I know. <laughs> Megan Joe for president. <laughs> What's right and wrong to me. I don't need to know history. I know when a system is broken. My heart knows, my body knows, my pussy knows, my intuition knows. When there's a person in charge who cares for people and respects life or doesn't, I don't need a history degree to know that. And I don't need a history degree to speak out about it. And I don't know, have to know how Congress works to speak up for that, which feels insane to me and my body and my family and my daughter. I'm terrified about that, but it was so liberating. And what I loved the most is, and I'm making this up, I fully own this. <laughs> when I saw her doing all of this, I thought she's not interested in winning. What she's interested in doing is modeling and allowing people to see the insanity. It's like, I just yeah. kept seeing her show up and speak truth yeah, and speak to the insanity and speak to the love and speak to unity. And like, it just became so clear what she was doing. Yeah, I haven't asked her or Angela, but I'm sure that she knew winning was very unlikely, but to get into that system and disrupt it with that kind of clear, and she's such a verbal surgeon. She just, yeah, her words just cut through the bullshit so fast. And yet she does it with such love and she with and tenderness, love. but direct and fierce and firm. Yeah. And so, you know, it's so great. I can't remember who she was talking about. Maybe it was uh, Anderson Cooper. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember him asking her a question and she just kind of like, just 
took her time, but she looked right back at him and was like, what about me, Anderson? You know, like, what about me, Anderson? Mm -hmm. Like, he was just kind of like discounting her. And she just kind of made him respond. It was was just asks very pointed questions in a very quiet, but powerful way was so inspiring. And it brought up for me, again, this need around women are starving for strong women who, you know, have convictions and who believe in themselves. They're starving Mm -hmm. to see it modeled in the world because I think it's the modeling that allows us to see ourselves, to see what's possible for ourselves and to emulate it. Absolutely. And I do think we're moving in the right direction. It's, it's, we are moving in the right direction for sure. And we're in the middle of a massive rupture and any global ruptures of which we've had many are times when the impossible becomes possible. There are also times when the people in power know that the their people are really super distracted and under stress. So now more than ever is the time to be clear about what we stand for and to really, as you are, put it in the world so that those ideas can be picked up and used and shared in times of disruption. That's why we need our voices out in the world. Yeah. Uh, the thing that scares me most about this pandemic, not that this is impossible, right? But it's that we'll go back to business as usual. I know we can't go back in time, but my greatest fear is that like nothing will really change. We won't learn our lesson yet again <laughs> that our planet is desperate. I almost picture her like Mother Earth just wanted to shake us off like fleas. And there's a part of me that's like, you know what? Go for it. Go for it. I'll sacrifice my, you're better off without us. And I can understand that fear. And there's something about this whole situation that I deeply trust. And I'm not even sure I put language around that yet. But there's, it's almost like really understanding again, that we're, none of us are separate. And that all of these things that have felt very woo-woo to a lot of people for so long are right. really not. That, That's that, right. You know, there is a source, that there is energy, even whether or not we can see it, that consciousness and the kind of evolving consciousness of human beings is shifting and changing, and this is what it looks like. Right. And then I, at least, in, in terms of like just speaking for myself, can trust that if this isn't where we kind of make a, a radical shift. It's the beginning of making a radical shift. For sure. Agreed wholeheartedly, my love. And yeah, agreed with all of that. I'm just thinking, you know, you and I are trained in the same coaching model. The model of coaching, any coaching model is like, comes from this radical idea that was never even a part of human consciousness until very recently, which is I create my reality. Yes. I create my reality. That even that idea wasn't it wasn't even known or understood uh, several hundred years ago. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about now? That's like pretty mainstream. And as you said, mental health, mental knowing how my thoughts create realities is going to be the most important skill. It is. And all of us so-called woo woo people are the ones who are like, oh, we got this. Oh, exactly. I mean, we got We're this good. all day long. We got this all day long. And so, yeah, that that shift of leadership 
for sure has been happening, has been happening, has been happening. And this is going to, yeah, this is tipping it massively. And I know we only have a few minutes left. So I, I wondered, I'm like, hmm, what question do I want to ask you? I think one of the things I want to bring up for our listeners is tell me about your relationship to the word pussy. Mm, these are good, Mon. These are good, surprising questions. Well, you know, I'm looking down right in front of me is this book that Mama Gina wrote called Pussy, a reclamation. And um, she she talks a lot about why she very intentionally uses that word. <laughs> it's really kind of funny. And she kind of goes through it like, you know, vagina, just just too technical, clinical and like vulva, which is actually what the entire organ is just sounds like a <laughs> it's a car, a very safe car, sensible car. And cunt is just too harsh. And anyway, so for her and for me too, I think it's got like when you say it, you kind of smile. It's like pussy. It's like it's kind of naughty, but it's sort of flirty and it's sort of feminine, but it's sort of lewd. It has a charge to it. It has a charge to it. Even before her book came out, it was always my favorite, like with sex talk or anything like that. That would always be my preferred. I think I want to lick your pussy is so much better than I want to lick your vulva. I want to lick your vagina. <laughs> I want to lick your vagina. But for but my relationship to it. And again, a lot of this comes from work with Regina. But what she's saying, what we're all just reclaiming, revealing is this is the source of life itself, y'all. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the like, source of life itself. itself. Our work here is done. Our work here is done. And when you start seeing it through that lens and, and as an organ, because now I've seen and explored like hundreds and hundreds of pussies, it's like an extraordinary organ. It's a beautiful organ. It actually... When you open her up and look inside, it looks like a shrouded Mother Mary sacred priestess. It is 8,000 nerve endings. It has a clit whose only purpose is pleasure. It has no other function than pure pleasure. We are designed for pleasure. So in that sense, it's like the great goddess and God is in our actual body it has a lot of wisdom, you know, and I know this might sound crazy to some people, but I dare you to like put your hand on your pussy and ask it a question. You'll get an answer. See if she see if she likes the attention. See if she's lighting up even now. Just this conversation. Is she like, oh, they're talking about me. I like it, <laughs> you know, and w most of us have such a fucked up relationship with that part, this part of our bodies, because we've been taught that it is foul and to be feared and stinky and messy and, to be and horrible. Just ashamed. to be totally ashamed of. We don't even have a shared name for it. Nope. We have a million nicknames for it. Hoochie, cooter, coin purse, cat, pussy cat. You yeah, know. go, oh my dear God. Right? Do men, like there aren't that many for men. Call it anything but what it is. And that which isn't named can't be honored, can't be worshipped, can't be put on the altar where she deserves to be because she is the source of life itself. And when you remember that, you're like, oh, we're actually insane for not worshipping women. We're insane. 
We're insane. Why wouldn't we do that? And here's the other piece that I love is I love the word reclamation because there's something there about like, look, you're not going to use this word to shame me. I'm going to use this word to empower me. That's right. I mean, the first chapter, the first paragraph of the first chapter is exactly that. Like, this is the ultimate smack to a man's manhood, you fucking pussy. And actually, pussies are so much more durable and incredible than if, you you know, you kick a man in the nuts and he's on his knees. I mean, it's the most fragile, delicate, beautiful nutsack. But yeah, uh, a woman's pussy births humans into the world and expands to, you know, dilates. And so it's it is a reclamation. And, and that's very, you know, why she uses that that word. And I don't know, maybe there's another better word. But to me, it's not just the organ. It's the source of life. It's where it's a source for wisdom. One of many. Right. It's where my heart and soul and mind comes together. It, it's my compass or intuition and knowing it is sacred and holy. And yet we've taught women to disembody, to look everywhere but there, to anywhere but there, to really, I mean, there's so much here, right? In terms of a whole nother conversation, it it, it again becomes one of those iceberg conversations and another piece of the iceberg, a a big old piece of the iceberg, a big old pussy piece. It's huge. Yeah, but it's it's also really true that when women are fully empowered, fully lit up and fully tuned in to their own power in this way, not from kind of like an overpower, like a like a lording right. over, but a but a plugged in power. That's right. That's also when and this is this is honestly what I think the patriarchy is all about is this fear of women being turned on, tuned in, and fully in our power because there is no way we would tolerate any of this bullshit anymore. That's exactly right. And we're not. And and that's why the patriarchy is under threat. That's why it's crumbling because this fourth wave feminism where women are saying like, oh, I don't have to just be angry. I don't have to just be enraged. There's more to feminism than that. And oh, I, I have to and want to include men in this because men need us desperately. Uh, but when women get together, as you're pointing to, in sisterhood and with a deep and shared desire, the miraculous occurs. Make no fucking mistake. I've seen it over and over again. And it makes perfect sense to me that that would have been shut down by people who are threatened by it. That's why witches were burned at the stake because they created miraculous healings and manifestations and demonstrations of the divine. This has been such a lackluster podcast episode. I know. It's really been bland. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we didn't even get to like why the voice, the, you know, the voice, the chakras, India, (laughs) healing, commanding the stage. Like we didn't even, we're like, just, ah, this has been such a tease. It's such a tease. I could just sit like, I just want to get on the couch and then like, ah, have some chai tea. Now you're talking about India and I want chai tea with milk and I just want to talk to you all day and 
get in our comfy PJs. But let's say this before we wrap up, because I really want anyone who listens to this, if you've gotten this far, if you're still I know, if you're still up. listening, if you have not been like, ew. <laughs> this is sort of an, a newish thing for me, but what I really believe now more than ever that the the like solution to most of the problems that women have is a radical act of self-approval. Self-approval in whatever state we're in, whatever we're doing, like we have master's degrees in shaming ourselves. And this is why we need other women to help us with it, you know, and to have some tools and practices. But I've been testing this theory in my own life. And like, every time I can return to self-approval and a very hefty dose of pleasure, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Yeah, we could talk for another hour about the art of pleasure, which you and I are studying very intensely right now. Well, and I brag that we're going to have another podcast and do just that. And in fact, this is just yeah. one of many, 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 because you need Agreed. to be like my regular special guest. Oh, my God. That turns me on. Right? Yes. Yeah, we could have different themes. We could do like pleasure. We could do the voice. We could do. Oh, my God. It's just going to. The Pussy Power Hour. Yeah. The Pussy Power Hour. Oh, my God. There's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love you. I love you so much. I love you. I'm so incredibly grateful for this work you're doing. And by the way, like your podcast tagline is every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, yes. What is it? You're like disrupting, interrupting, the disrupting the trance of unworthiness. Ugh. Like, isn't that the best string of words? I think disrupting so. The trance of unworthiness. What's really, really funny is most women that I sent the intro to just to hear it for the first time could not. Mm. It's almost they kept saying, what is it that you're saying? What is it like? I couldn't hear it. And I'm thinking really? because it's cognitive dissonance, not because it's like, wait, what? Right. Not because you mean I'm in a trance. Right. Like they literally could not hear. And I, I, I really did recognize I kept thinking to myself, OK, it's not because it doesn't make sense. It's because there's no, some no, kind no. of cognitive dissonance. I think you're right on about that. I'm so like on board with that and turned on. I mean, that's what I'm doing too. That's what so many of us are doing in different ways to the same room and coming out of a trance is painful. Y'all that's where the like three days of sobbing came. Like I was in a trance. Yeah. And, and my whole life to sob many more times. And every time you sob, by the way, there's so much expansion and space where that sobbing was living because it's not as if our bodies and our spirits don't fucking know it, that it's taking up space that doesn't fucking belong there. Exactly. And I'm wondering if I can say fucking one more time. I fucking bet so. I know. We haven't even gotten into embodied, embodied emotions. So much more. There's so much more. So, much so more. hey, everybody. I just want to you know, say more to be revealed with Megan Joe Wilson. And thank you, Megan, just from the bottom of my heart, you are a continue continuing to be such an inspiration, not only for me, but for all the women that you serve and are going to serve. Mm -hmm. Thank you, my love. Yeah. So more to be revealed, more to be revealed. If you're someone who is interested in working with us in a deeper way, 
please visit our website to learn more about how you can begin the process of unbecoming and remembering. Please enter the code PODCAST in the checkout to take advantage of special offers on any of our online courses, workshops, or online monthly memberships. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.